The SS California was a steamliner that was less than 20 miles away from the Titanic when it sunk. Later interviews found that the captain of the SS California had even seen signal flares being shot into the air by a vessel that he could see off on the horizon. For two solid hours, the wireless telegraph operators on the Titanic were sending out telegraph distress signals for any ships in the area. But the young wireless operator on the SS California had turned off his wireless radio 10 minutes before the Titanic struck the iceberg. Now, even though this captain saw signal flares, for a stress signal, there's supposed to be one-minute intervals. And he said these signal flares were sporadic, that he didn't seem them to mean anything. They saw the flares, but the radio was turned off. And for two hours, the RMS Titanic were sending out a distress signal because 1,500 people ended up perishing in an icy grave into the 36-degree waters of the North Atlantic. The sad fact is that even though there was a distress signal sent out, the SS California never heard the call. My message this morning is, have we heard the call? I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. I'm sure many of you had preacher for lunch last Sunday as I explained to the church our plans for a family life center and also a vision for raising those funds. I said last Sunday that I believed we could raise a quarter of a million dollars in 31 days. And I still believe that. And uh, it's so funny, my mother was out to uh, dinner that afternoon and saw another church member. And they were talking about the church. And a lady overheard them and, they, and the lady says, were, were people not offended that the pastor asked for that much money? And uh, one of our church members says, oh yes, most certainly they were offended. <laughs> because anytime we talk about the pocketbook, we get offended. But this morning, my goal is not that you're offended because of how much I asked, but you're offended at how small I have asked. And that's what I believe Scripture is going to tell us today. We're going to look in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And it says about Jesus... That Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples... The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me read that again. Then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. 
Therefore pray that the Lord of the harvest send out laborers into his harvest. May God bless the reading of his word today. I'm sure that you and I are familiar with this passage of scripture. But I want to examine its context and let the reality of it press upon us and change our paradigm. I want it to change who we are, our priorities, and our outlook on life. Jesus says in that passage, first and foremost, that the harvest is plentiful. What he means is there's a lot of lost people that need to get saved. Amen? There's a lot of lost people that need to hear about Jesus. Matter of fact, the LifeWay research in 2012 reported that Southern Baptist membership in America declined by 100,000 in 2012. That the Southern Baptist churches, listen, I mean, as far as I know, we're the most evangelical, the most zealous about missions, the most zealous about spreading the gospel, the most zealous about doing door-to-door, you know, praise God, move over Jehovah's Witnesses, the Baptists are coming through. The Baptists declined 100,000 members in 2012. That's shocking to me. Does it shock you? Probably not. Because we're comfortable with Christianity in America. We've got Lifeway Christian t-shirts and Christian bumper stickers. But the Christians are failing at their mission. Amen. Is anybody awake today? Am I preaching to uh, the saved people or the lost people this morning? Let's get fired up for the gospel. Because we're here for a purpose and a reason. The problem is also that most people in church, when they stop going, they don't ask for their name to be taken off the roll. They just stopped showing up. (laughs) So what they found is not only did membership decline by 100,000, but attendance in 2012 dropped by 200,000 people. Almost a quarter of a million people stopped going to the Baptist churches. You see, baptisms in 2012 within the Baptist church Now, we were started by the German Anabaptists who were baptizing people who had professions of faith. These people, this is what we historically stand for, baptizing believers. In 2012, baptisms dropped by 5.5% nationwide. Meaning that even though we baptized 315,000 people, 200,000 stopped coming to church. So the church is still shrinking. The church is still shrinking in America. We are currently, and I'm talking about nationwide, at the lowest number of baptisms since 1950. Now, let me just ask a question, and don't be ashamed of it. Who remembers church in 1950? Who remembers churches when churches were full, when pews were full, when baptistries were full? You remember this. Matter of fact, pretty much every Baptist church was growing in 1950. Because every Baptist church was doing church the same way. Well, the problem is that those churches that did and had baptisms in 1950, and man, we were baptizing thousands and thousands in 1950. The problem is those same churches have kept their same model and haven't changed a thing. And you can't do the same thing and get the same results. 
So now Baptist churches are failing because they never changed anything. They never uh, uh, learned from the culture and they never learned how to uh, engage with their evangelistic methods. They simply kept doing the same thing. And now we're at the lowest since half a decade ago. Not only are baptisms low, but we have lost 10% of our missionaries since 2009. In an a international mission board that supports 5,000 missionaries... That means there's 500 less missionaries on the mission field because when Baptists fail, when no people comes in, then no money comes into the church and then the IMB suffers. And now China's not hearing the gospel because Baptists in America aren't doing their job reaching our own Americans. The harvest truly is plentiful. And what I mean by that is this is good news for us. This is good news for us today because it means we've got even more of a job to do. If the other ones are failing at doing it, let us pick up the banner. Let us pick up the torch and carry the gospel throughout our community and baptize and disciple and train and reach and go. Because the more we see other people not doing it is the more we should rise up and say someone needs to. One of our own states in the country, Connecticut, is now less than 2% of the population evangelical. That means that one of our own states in the United States, literally we can drive to Connecticut and get there. One of our own states is less than 2% evangelical Christianity. means it's considered unreached with the gospel. Connecticut is now unreached with the gospel. How is it possible that 40,000 churches exist within the United States and yet the American church is shrinking? And yet our own states are unengaged with the gospel. I'll give you the reason, because churches aren't obedient. We've got a plethora of doctrine, but a lack of application. We've got plenty of teaching, but a lack of obedience. The, you know, uh, the institutions and the seminaries have become doctrinally sound, but evangelistically deaf. That's the state of the nation, folks. Let's not talk about the rest of the country. Let's talk about right here in our own community. There's a church right here in our own community that has an annual budget of $1,300,000. I mean, this church has it going on. They've got the youth programs. They've got the children programs. They've got the the, uh, senior adult programs. On and on and on. Man, they've got it covered. They've got the facilities. They've got it to the T. Everything the American church needs. Budget of $1,300,000. How many did that church baptize last year? 17. So out of $1,300,000, it produced 17 new converts. That means for every $80,000 of ministry, one disciple is produced. One disciple for $80,000. Now, I believe that's actually a good thing. I mean, I'm not going to put just a small price tag on a soul. I mean, if it takes $80,000 to get one convert into the kingdom, then praise the Lord, we'll spend $80,000. But the problem is the churches in America are so big with their programs that they're not able to run the marathon of evangelism. They're not able to run the marathon of missions. Literally, they're overweight churches who are out of shape when it comes to the gospel. 
But the thing is that Baptists are still doing it better than the other denominations. And if you look at the nation as a whole, this is going to blow your mind. If you put all the Christian churches together and you take the baptism that happened last year, it takes $1 million per baptism in the United States. $1 million to reach one person with the gospel. Wow. Now let's put it down this way. We're planning on building a family life center. If this family life center, which is going to cost approximately $1 million, if that family life center would bring one new Christian into the kingdom, would we still do it? Would it still be worth it? I believe it still would. If it would only bring one, I believe it still would be worth it. If your son or your daughter or your husband or your wife were the only person that came to faith in Christ because of a family life center of a building, would you give? And how much would it be worth to you? Once we personalize the gospel, it starts mattering a whole lot more. Once we start talking about the soul of your family, of your children, of your grandchildren, then we start seeing the need. You see, I want you to hear the call. I want you to hear those voices of 1,500 people on April 15, 1912, in that bone-chilling water, these people crying out for salvation, and they could literally see help on the horizon. They could see the SS California on the horizon screaming for help, but the California never heard the call. Do we hear the call today? Do we hear the call of the lost within our own community? Do we hear the call of the Buddhists in China who got to their temple this morning at 5 a.m. so they could literally get down on their knees and pray for three hours? Who are praying and believing that the more they pray to Buddha, the better chance they'll have it of achieving nirvana and existing in a soul paradise? Do we hear those calls who has no one to share the gospel with them? If we could hear their cries, then would we give? Would we be offended because someone asks to build a family life center to continue the mission of the church? If we could only hear right now the Hindus in India, the Hindu children who are literally starving to death while cows walk the streets fat and happy. The cows are fatter than the people over there because they believe that that cow has a soul and says you can't eat the cow so it's better for you to die can we hear those starving children saying would someone please tell me about Christ do they have anyone to tell them that Jesus became emptied so that they could be filled Can you hear the prayers of the Muslim children in the Middle East where their daddy is teaching them to literally strap a bomb around their chest because they believe if they take their own life that Allah will give them eternal life. Five-year-old children being strapped with bombs in the Middle East. Can we hear those cries? That someone would go tell them that Jesus already gave his life? That they don't have to blow theirs up? If we could hear those cries, how much would we give? You see, some of you thought I was asking for a lot of money last week. And I said that 10 people could give $10,000. 
And I'm convinced that I didn't ask enough. I'm convinced that the churches in the United States are failing. That Christianity is literally failing. And the majority of churches are failing because we've neglected the call. Churches have become inward focused and fat and happy with programs instead of outward focused to spread the glory of God among the nations. And folks, whenever churches turn inwardly, they collapse. If the church is not growing, if the church is not going, it is dying. If the church is not moving forward with missions and evangelism, it is literally falling backwards. You see, let's not talk about other churches. Let's talk about our church. Last year, we had a budget intake of almost $300,000. And with that $300,000, 30 converts were baptized. 30 people were baptized here. Praise the Lord. That means for every $10,000 that a lost person entered the kingdom. Now, folks, is $10,000 a high price for eternity? How much would you put on your own soul? Your own salvation that someone gave so that you could be engrafted into the kingdom of God. I think $10,000 is a small price against the backdrop of damnation. And I'm going to tell you what happens when people stop hearing the call of the lost. When people stop hearing the command of Christ to send laborers into the harvest field. When they stop hearing that, then, then they have to sell hot dogs to build buildings. When it no longer becomes about lost people, then the church becomes a restaurant in order to build their establishment. I wonder what John Wesley would think, the founder of the Methodist movement, who devoted his life to the spreading of the gospel, who devoted his life to evangelism, and when he started giving away his income, and he realized God kept giving back. John Wesley, who founded the Methodists, he gave 20% of his income away and realized God still kept care of him. He gave 30% of his income away. God still took care of him. He ended up, for the most of his ministry, giving away 90% of his income for the gospel. What would he think when he walked into a church and sees a sign, hot dogs, $2? Hmm. I think I might be sick this morning when the house of God becomes a restaurant. When we resort to such man-based methods for God's kingdom. But folks, that's what happens when the church doesn't hear the lost. That's what happens when the church doesn't hear hell. And matter of fact, let me tell you something. That the institutions and the big universities aren't talking about eternity. And why do we think we have a failing religious system? Because we have failing religious education. Because they made it about what will people need or what do people want. Not what is the truth. And the truth is, no matter what means it takes, by all means we save some. Because the flames of eternity are real. When the church stops hearing the call of the lost, then we have to give people reasons why they should start showing up at prayer meetings. Folks, let me tell you, the New Testament church met in homes to pray. That was the church. 
There's no reason I have to in, invite you to come to a prayer meeting at someone's house. That was New Testament church. Amen? When we stop hearing the cries of eternity, then we have to start convincing people to do spiritual things. When the church stops hearing the call of the lost, then no longer do they give money surely for the joy of being involved in the Lord's work, but they have to be convinced that they will get their money back. Someone gave me a great idea this week. They said, you know, uh, uh, Pastor, the church could sell bonds to raise money for this building. And certainly, if I say, if, if you give $10,000 in seven years, you'll get 11000 back. Who wouldn't do that? But then you're giving money because you're going to get it back, not because the Lord is going to use it. That's a man-based method. Give money because the kingdom will benefit. Give because souls are in limbo. The harvest is indeed plentiful, but too many have not heard the call. Secondly, the workers are few, as Jesus says. Gordon, Conway, uh, Gordon Conwell did a seminary study to find out which nations send the most missionaries per capita. Which nations send out the most missionaries? They wanted to find how many missionaries go out per one million Christians. That doesn't mean per one million people, but per one million Christians. Now, I know what you're thinking. America always leads the way. We have the most number of churches. We have the most number of universities that are Christian. We have more than half the wealth of the entire world. Of course, America would send the most missionaries per capita. And my friend, we would be wrong. The leading nation for sending Christian missionaries per capita is Palestine. The most violently persecuted place on the planet. The most dangerous place to be a Christian is the place where they're training Christians. One of the most persecuted places is one of the most sending places. And then next you have, secondly, Ireland. Then you have Malta and Samoa and South Korea, number five on the list. South Korea is sending more missionaries per capita than the United States. Where does America show up on the list? Doesn't show up till number nine. <laughs> Some of the poorest countries in the world are sending more missionaries than the nation that has every resource imaginable. But see, I am not content with those figures. I pray that we as a church are not content with those figures. I pray that we as a church aren't content with just what the convention is doing or just what the IMB is doing. I'm ready to see the tide shift in the other direction when it comes to the new generation of Christians. Too many churches worry about growing tall when they should really worry about growing wide, growing out with the gospel. The goal of the church must be the go of the church. We must get back to missions as our mission or else we are failing. You see, my friend, I don't want us to have a building. I want us to have an army. I want us to have a launching pad for the gospel. Now, if it takes material things to get there, then let it be. But that's not what we're here for. We're not here for the material thing. We're here for what the material thing will produce and allow. And that is the raising up of young people and missionaries and pastors for the gospel. So when we put on our, our bus equipping families and individuals to fulfill the Great Commission, that's not just a statement. That's literally our purpose. 
My wife and I have been praying about what school options Bella would be involved in. And my heart in the discussion is that we must first determine what we want our kids to be. Do we want our kids to be normal? Do we want them to be a a, a normal part of society? And my answer is no. That's not what I want. I want Bella and Roman to be world changers and world shakers. I want them to so violently, radically influence the culture that the world won't even know how to handle them. You see, what we give to the church will be determined by what we want the next generation of Christians to be. Do we want the next generation of Christians to be citizens and and patriots and, and community members? Or do we want them to be world changers, world shakers? If we want the kids to be lawyers, then let's give monies to the colleges. If we want the kids to be doctors, then let's give monies to the hospital. And listen, I'm not saying that you can't be a doctor and radically influence the culture. But if they're going to be trained to radically influence the culture, they're going to need resources. And that's where the church steps in and partners with families to teach families how to radically influence the culture. If we want children to be pro athletes, then let's give money to the football programs. If we want them to be normal, then keep letting the government get a bigger percent of your income than the church does so the government can teach children about evolution and gay marriage and abortion and a godless world. If we're comfortable with that, then let's sit back and turn on ESPN and let people around the globe not hear about the gospel. I'm not comfortable. If our desire for this generation of children is to be world changers, then let's be about the business of the gospel and the church. What I have realized is not that our vision here is too big, but our vision is too small because God's plan for his church is to be a labor-sending unit into the harvest field. Our vision is too small, our paradigm is idolatry, and it's based on self and the pleasing of self, and the church in America has fallen so far away from the glory of God being centered on it that I wonder if it's possible to get it back on track. And now here's what these other countries are doing. They're sending missionaries to the United States. These countries, South Korea, Asia, China, they're training up missionaries to come evangelize us because they look at the the big and happy American church that's not doing ministry, and you know what they say? They're not saved. They're, They're evangelizing us right now. So what do we do? Therefore, here's what Jesus says. Pray for God to send laborers into the harvest. Let me tell you what prayer does. Prayer aligns our heart with God's heart. And when we pray that the Lord raise up laborers for the harvest, what happens is our life becomes about raising up laborers for the harvest. When we start asking God to raise up workers for the harvest, God starts asking us to raise up workers for the harvest. You cannot pray for something and have it influence you, and have it not influence you. What you will pray for will influence you. In your outlook on life. When we start praying the prayers of Christ, then we start dreaming the dreams of God. And what I mean by that is dream is a vision, a projection of what is needed to happen. So I ask you this morning, what are you praying for? What are you dreaming for? You see, I'm dreaming for the day when kids no longer ask for Christmas presents. But they ask for sponsors to their mission trips. I'm dreaming for the day when husbands and wives no longer save up for vacation, but they save up 
for the gospel to go on mission. I'm dreaming of the day when Friendship Southern Baptist commissions a team of 12 people who will go up to Connecticut and plant a church. Is that possible? Most certainly. And if we don't expect it, it won't happen. If we don't expect that we will do it, it won't happen. I'm dreaming for the day when we start sending mission teams into the heart of Europe, to the heart of Africa, to the heart of Asia, and I want some of them to get over there and never come back because they stay because of the gospel. I'm dreaming of the day when a young college student from our church decides not to go to college in our country but decides to go study at Oxford University in England and they go to England and they plant a church on the campus and those atheist, liberal, three o'clock tea drinking professors get saved for the glory of God. (laughs) I believe it can happen. I'm dreaming of the day when we don't just have a family life center, but we have a university that trains missionaries. That we have a school that trains pastors. This is the whole point of the church. <laughs> if we're not about missions, we're not a church. Because missions is the church. And you might say, I don't think all that can happen here. Well, I feel sorry for you, my friend, because I'm crazy enough to think it can. And I guarantee that once we hear the call of Christ, that we'll start realizing it most certainly can happen and we should expect it to. So I'm not asking you to give to a building. I'm asking you to give to the kingdom advancement. There is nothing that God cannot do once we set our minds on being fully surrendered him so my friends I want to apologize to you I want to apologize for standing before you last week and inviting you to give towards a building and what we really do is we give towards the kingdom not a structure but a launching pad I want you to know that God is and will use this little church right here to do great and mighty things above and beyond what we could ask or imagine for And some of you, you heard me last week stand before you. Some of you got a letter in the mail this week and it talked about what we needed for this building to move forward. And some of you may have brought an offering today. I've asked some of you to give $10,000 and that's a small amount in the spectrum of eternity. Let me assure you it is. Let me assure you it is. When we stand before Christ, we'll realize that everything we kept for ourselves was worthless. I'm going to realize that too. But everything we give to Christ, we've gained. In just a moment, we're going to watch a video. While we're watching this video, if you have an envelope, I want you to fill out your envelope. We're going to come, we're going to use the black pot at the end of service, not just for our building campaign, but for our kingdom campaign. For the month of March, and for the month of March we're going to watch God give. If you don't have a gift today, I want you to pray. What, God, do you have me to do? Some of you are getting tax refund checks back four or $5,000. I pray you give it all. What else are we going to get? Louis Vuitton and Gucci bags? Worthless. It's worthless rubbish, to be honest with you. 
(laughs) I like ties and bow ties, but it will all perish. It will all fade away. It will burn up in a heap of rubble, and only that which is done for Christ will last. So let's give to it. Amen. We have a silent invitation because sometimes we become so distracted from the noise that we neglect to hear the call of Christ. I'm going to ask you, if you brought an offering today, to stand and walk forward to give towards the kingdom advancement. And I pray God takes that gift and multiplies it for eternity. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you. You laid aside every known resource of comfort in heaven and stepped into this mess of the earth for the salvation of your people. And God, I pray that, Lord, you don't just convict us today. God, I pray that you would just motivate us For the beauty of the gospel. To know that whatever is given for you will last forever. And I thank you for the people over this next month who literally will sacrificially give. Who will literally lose their vacation. Because they believe in your plan for the church will give up the comforts which they know to build a future for the coming generations of Christians. I pray that you bless it and multiply it in infinite ways. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.